Hey everyone, it's Randy Silver, co-host of the Product Experience Podcast. Billy couldn't make it this week, so you've got me flying solo on the intro, which means all of the pressure of making it both amusing and informative is is on me. Huh. Okay, let's get informative out of the way first. Our guest this week, well, my guest this week, is Alex Watson. I first saw him do a talk at London's Product Tank way back in 2016, where he talked about managing large, complicated projects. He's since gone on to do even larger and more complicated ones, leading to his current gig as a product director on Spotify's core experience. He's here today to talk about career progression for product people and finding the story of your career. Okay, now I need to do the amusing part of the intro. Let's see. Okay, I got it. I got this from the the Dad Jokes channel on a Slack group that I'm in. If you ask Rick Astley for his copy of the movie Up, he cannot give it to you, as he is never going to give you up. However, in doing so, he lets you down, thus creating the Astley paradox. Lily, come back soon. Save me and everyone else from this. On with the show! The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover loads of free resources to help you with your product practice. You can also find more information about Mind the Product's conferences and their great training opportunities happening around the world and online. Create a free account on the website for a fully personalized experience and to get access to the full library of awesome content and the weekly curated newsletter. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. It's nice to to be here, Andy. Um, if you are a London product person, then I'm sure you know Alex. He's spoken at lots of conferences. He's done lots of talks at Product Tank and things like that. But for people who don't know you, Alex, can you give us a quick intro? What are you up to these days? And by the way, how did you get into product in the first place? Uh, yeah, sure. So I um, work for Spotify at the moment, and I'm one of the product directors for the for the core experience. I've done that for the last couple of years. And before that, I mostly have done news products, and that's probably, uh, if anyone's heard of me, that's that's kind of the stuff that I've talked to the Mind the Product crew about. Um, I worked at the BBC for five and a half years as the head of product there, before that at the Telegraph, and then before that, I actually got my start doing iPad apps for a magazine company called Dennis. And I was really lucky to be supported by, by Mind the Product early on. There are a lot of great um, news product managers in London, and that's kind of how I uh, I found Mind the Product community, and uh, yeah, that's how I really got my start in it. Fantastic. So we're going to be talking today about about careers in product and how you self-define, how you grow, uh, how you get better at it to, to a certain degree, and also from the other perspective, how you manage the careers of, of the people in your team. And you shared something with me uh, ahead of the podcast, uh, a presentation you did, where you ask two big questions right at the outset. And I'm curious, uh, uh, the, I want to know why these questions specifically. So the first one is, are the senior people in your business smarter and happier than you? And the second one, has anyone ever actually finished their roadmap? So why these <laughs> questions? Yeah, it was a talk I gave during the first year of the pandemic, which was obviously a very uh, strange and intense time. 
And I'd been asked to do a talk about career progression because I think at that point I'd probably been going about 10 years and I'd, I'd really gone all the way up from being like a product manager on an app uh, to someone running a small team and then like a big team at the BBC and then to, to Spotify where I'm, I'm really working with, you know, uh, a lot of teams on a, on a lot of core parts of, of the product. So I'd, I'd done this kind of progression and it was a case of uh, perhaps being asked to think through what advice would I have for people and one of the things about progression is what's right for each person is is quite individual and that makes it quite hard to give the advice but people often want to know am i doing enough am i progressing when am i going to get to that next level and it really made me think about well how do you measure a product career what counts as good and you see it as sometimes in in uh, product slacks and discussions which is like designers have got like their uh, portfolio um developers have got their github you know what what do you do as a product manager what do you put together as like the story of, of your career and particularly in big places and spotify being one of them if you want to go for a promotion you know there's there's quite a well-defined path and you actually have to put together like quite a bit of evidence so what what is it that you put together as a as a product person and that led me to these two questions and the first was really about you know, what is the reason that you're chasing progression? Is it because you think that like, as soon as you get to that next level, you're going to be 2x happier and 2x more fulfilled? Because I think some people don't stop and think about that, because actually, the levels are quite different. And there are things that I don't get to do in my job now that I miss from the from the previous levels. And then the second one was, given that you never finish your roadmap, just sort of having a list of here's the stuff I shipped doesn't feel very satisfactory as this is my product career. So I was really thinking about those two questions. One is what drives us to seek out progression and how might we therefore think about is progression good? And the second flip side is, okay, let, you're going for progression. How do you illustrate what you've done so far? Because it is much harder for product people, I think. I think as an engineer, as a developer, uh, it's a bit easier to say this is the stuff that, that I did. I think it's much harder for product folks. In terms of progressing as a product person, in the places that you've been, has it always been into a management role? Or is there also an IC track, an individual contributor track to be more senior, more complex problems, things like that with uh, you know staying a, a pure hands-on product person, but in more of a distinguished product manager type role? Yeah, that's super interesting. I don't think, frankly, when I was progressing that there was much of a concept in the UK of this, what's now generally called like a principal product manager or a product fellow or a, a staff product manager. Um, it definitely existed for engineers. You know, as soon as I was working with engineers, there was always the concept of, oh, you know, him over there or her over there, they're the kind of, they're the, they're the principal or they're the, the staff engineer. I think it's taken a long time to come to product. And I'm really glad that it has. It's definitely a thing we do at Spotify. And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of other uh, listeners um, who work in companies where that is an option. And I think I do, I do get to go hands on in my role at Spotify, because it's quite a detail orientated job. Um, so even though I'm doing a management role, I get to kind of get into the detail, um, which is cool, because I think Certainly, perhaps at the BBC, where it was very managerial, I, I definitely missed that creative part of it. Like, I always think of product as there are two halves to the job. It's in the job title. There is the product part, which is more creative. It's more free-flowing. It's more about, um, you know, they're the getting into what is the thing we're making. And then there's the management part, which is more a classic kind of, um, 
not quite a bureaucratic job, but it's a job of meetings, of notes, of slide decks. And I think keeping those two things in balance is one of the things that, for me, is what makes for a good role. And I think if you are thinking about progressing, you probably need to make sure both parts of that are satisfied, that you've done a good job on showing you can handle the management parts of what you're doing uh, and a good job of uh, the, the product parts. And I think that probably exists at all levels. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sure there's a, you know, you're doing management at most levels in a product job, even if it's not line management. You know, even when I was doing my very first product job, you've still got the couple of developers, a designer who are going, okay, what's the top stories that we're going to work on today? And so you're still you're still kind of driving other people's decision making. I think even when you're in um, a role that doesn't have formal line management. Yeah, I've got I've got a friend from who years ago said uh, the the type of jobs we do, you either need to be comfortable leading f- or following, and that's okay. But if somebody else isn't leading, it's get out of the way. I'm going to do it. And sometimes yeah. people talk about the, being the CEO of the product which we all know is crap, but that's besides the point. But the the idea that you know, you can lead from behind, you can facilitate, you can let other people have great ideas, but that is still a way of leading. It's making sure that there is leadership within, in the decision-making in the team. Yeah, and if I think about how the principal role works, um, it is a leadership role. It's leadership of like a domain or it's leadership of a problem. It's leadership of a particularly difficult kind of area or project that that we're applying it to. And I think that's a very valid part of the product experience. So I'm very glad to see it being recognized. And I think, you know, if I was running my career over again, or if I was, you know, 15 years younger, maybe I would stick more to the IC path for longer than Mm -hmm. I I did when when I was um, kind of developing my career. Let's let's go back to getting ready for that promotion. Um, one of the things you you mentioned a moment ago, uh, or a few moments ago, actually, was something that you said the story of your career and telling it. And I've been consulting for the last few years, and I really haven't updated my CV in quite a while. But I know at the top of it is a list of bullet points of accomplishments, and I think that's one of the things you said that may not be the best way of telling your story. So so how what what is the right way? What do you recommend? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a few interesting things there. So I'm sure people have become familiar with when you do your CV, there's this temptation to, I'm going to put like a little profile at the top, I'm going to write this little story. And I think LinkedIn kind of almost asks for it as well. And definitely as a hiring manager, when you see a good one, you're like, ah, oh, this is, yeah, I, I really get it. Because, you know, if you just see this kind of chron- reverse chronological list of, well, I was here, and I managed X, and we improved Y by 10%, and, and what have you, that maybe doesn't tell you what uh, the story is and so that is a good place to start i think if you can get to a point of what would that first paragraph kind of say on your cv does it say that you're kind of i don't know a detail obsessive pm who's really great at resolving kind of conflicts between teams building internal tools or, or something like that or does it say you know that you're a pm who is great at um exploring kind of new opportunities in new sectors and you've driven kind of um innovative new solutions for your companies in the past there's this sense that i think how should your cv be read by someone because ultimately particularly when you're applying for new jobs it is kind of a conversation like when you're reading the cv as a hiring manager you are trying to get a sense of well who is the person here like a cv really is just to get you in the room or in the zoom call uh, for the interview that's that's really what it's for once once you're in that process 
lots of other things are far more important than the CV. So I think take that opportunity to sort of have that narrative. In, in terms of what I was then thinking about, uh, certainly early in the pandemic, I guess like a lot of people, I had those moments of self-reflection and looking around me and thinking, oh, this is a this is a point to kind of look back on your life and, and sort of reflect a bit. I do think, and I, I sort of said this earlier, it's tough for product to tell the story because, you know, the, the fact is, and, and a lot of the talk was about this, is a lot of the work we do doesn't last. That is the nature of digital product. Um, design lasts slightly better, I think, because it can be preserved. I think, you know, if you, if you are working on a, a product, it's probably going through iterative changes, right? We're shipping lots of product, uh, lots of product changes all the time. So it may well be that what you worked on even a year ago, like if I look at, say, the BBC stuff now, it's pretty different to some of the stuff that I worked on. And if I went back to, say, the Telegraph where I worked uh, eight, nine years ago, that's really quite different. And it's no longer the thing that I ran and it's no longer the strategy that I ran. And I really started to think, well, okay, then how do you talk about what you've achieved? And some people would say, well, it's all about the people. And that, that's kind of true. But actually, at a senior level, when you go, often there's a restructure. So this was this was the case at the BBC. They changed quite a lot after I'd gone um, because they wanted to execute the strategy in a sort of different way. And so it's not even really true to say that that's my team and I'd set that up. And the processes are different as well. So you're kind of like, well, what 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 remains? What lasts? What is the core of what you've achieved? And that's when I was drawn to this concept of of the narrative and of uh, things like the, the Overton window, which um, which is this really interesting concept of uh, how you change, um, I guess, what it is that people consider um, the done thing or the acceptable route or uh, the framing of a problem. And it drew me to concepts like that, that maybe that's what a product manager's career really is measured in is, uh, for want of a better word, I guess, the transformations that they have affected. Mm. So I had a boss uh, probably about midway through my career who was really instrumental in changing the, the, the tack I took. And he pointed out in a review at one point, he said, Randy, you've done a really good job. But the way you fix the problem is by putting yourself, making yourself instrumental to the success of it. You've, you've you know, done the hero role in this. And I can't remove you from that role now. And put you in something else. So your job is actually you, you're looking at the wrong way. You need to reframe it as changing the system and transforming it so that other people can do things, or that it's done with fewer people, or or whatever, so that you can then go on and tackle the next problem and the next problem, and the next problem. And I like the way he. It really changed my my philosophy mm -hmm. and the the dynamic. And it sounds like that's some of what you're saying is the transformation of uh, changing the way people approach things, changing the, the nature of the problem. I think that's that's right. Yeah. I mean, definitely early on in your career, you want to have a solid record of shipping some stuff and that stuff having real impact. Like it's perfectly fine if you are in the first few years of your career to go, well, I led on, you know, a new uh sign up component that increased conversion or i helped uh, refactor the way that um, teams upload xyz and we've made it a little bit faster and and you definitely need to be able to always do that as a pm is, is talk about we ship this thing and this was the impact uh, and i always look for that when i'm interviewing we always try and unpack some stories of you know tell me about something that had a real impact when you solved a problem in an innovative way and you definitely want those stories as a pm but of course 
often that stuff is superseded, it's then changed the business pivots, its strategy, so it becomes a little bit disconnected. It's no longer um, current or best practice. It's, it's no longer quite as impactful as it as it once was. And so then you probably want to, at the next level, is more of what you're talking about, which is, well, yes, I was helping the team do a responsive refactor of our website, or I was helping the team relaunch the app or expanding to a new territory. But what was important was the way that I took them from being reactive to proactive, or it was the way that I took them from being uh, project focused to more product focused, or I took us from being you know, behind the competition to in front. And there's this sense of there's a story now happening of like, actually the transformation is the more interesting thing here. It's mm. this sense of we went from something to something else. And it's that sense that the product then is in the business of transformation. And even if that's no longer the case, you know, you might say, well, I was responsible for the company launching in this country. Even if they no longer operate there, even if they no longer have an app strategy and they've gone full web, even if they, you know, completely pivoted or been bought by another company, um, that transformation still lives on both in, in your approach uh, in the example that you might be giving to someone where you're, you're sort of arguing for a progression or a new role. But also I think it lives on in the people that you worked with, this sense that you moved on their expectations. You showed them um, that different approaches and the different results can be possible. I remember one time we worked at the Telegraph and it was pretty clear as we all prepared, you know, like we'd been through this big process there of, of a responsive relaunch and a, and a new editorial tool. And, and there came about like quite a large change in the business side that, that meant that we were going to, uh, quite a fair few of us were going to leave and they were going to change the technology approach. And I remember saying to one of my PMs, who was really cut up by it, she was like, what are they going to do to my product? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, first of all, they ain't yours, right? Like the, business, <laughs> the business paid us to do something and we did something great. And they're going to have it now. That's theirs. But like what we did was, you know, and what she did was really deliver something that was a lot better, a lot, lot better than you would have thought was possible within those constraints. Like it really busted through the constraints of what we thought was was possible in terms of product quality, in terms of innovation, in terms of problem solving. And I always thought that that was just such a valuable thing that it was that moving the conception of what that company uh, or what that group of people mm. thought they could do. Um, and so that's that's the concept, I guess, of the, the transformation and the story uh, aspect of progression. Randy, what's the most effective way to learn from the best in the industry, connect with other PMs and sharpen your skills? Why, Lily, you must be talking about MTPCon London, happening this year on the 20th of October. You know it, and this year's lineup of speakers is shaping up nicely. We have Tim Harford, behavioural economist, award-winning Financial Times columnist, data detective and BBC broadcaster. He, that's all of those things, it's just Tim. <laughs> Plus, the legend, that is Mark Abraham, product director at Backbase. There's also Randy Psidu, who's the former CPO at Reliance Health, and Claire Woodcock, who's the director of product for machine learning at Mozilla, and many more, including a great friend of this podcast. (laughs) That's right. And don't forget Workshop Day. On the 19th of October, there are seven full-day in-person workshops led by experienced product managers who share their secrets and tips for success. And finally, there's the Leadership Forum, an exclusive event for senior product leaders with carefully curated speakers, guests, and delicious food. 
So grab your tickets for MTPCon London today at mindtheproduct.com forward slash London. Okay, so that's that's really interesting. So you the perspective is a real problem with this because you've got the perspective of it's my product. I've been working on this thing for so long. I spent all my waking hours thinking about this thing. And you know, you may find a $5 million opportunity with it and say, why aren't they funding it? But, but you know that the person across the hall has come up with a $50 million opportunity. Yep. And that's just, yeah. and it's, there's nothing wrong with yours. It's just that one makes more sense. Um, and it, it just happens to be that your product area isn't going to bear as much fruit right now. Uh, yep. So it's, yeah. But so, and then we also live in a world where we're generally judged on things like OKRs. So how do you move from that, which is, binary in terms of the KR side of it anyway, or, you know, it's, it's reduced to headlines and numbers and bullets to finding something that is actually the thread of your story. How do you, how does someone go about that? It's a difficult question because, and I see this sometimes when I'm interviewing is often the KRs make sense really within the company's context, but they're pretty difficult for someone outside to, to understand or perhaps to appreciate what was hard. Um, you know, if you're um, if you're working within particularly a big company context, the chaos probably ladder up to quite a peculiar or specific view of its own market. Um, and in particular, I think with digital companies, where often we're seeking to do disruption or we're seeking new approaches, the view of the market is often not as straightforward. We charge X, we make ten percent profit, and that's that's what that's how the business works. You know, business models are very complex these days. So I, I really sympathise with PMs who are trying to narrate what it was they did, because they've got to get across. Well, this is the impact that I had, and this is why it matters. And actually, often you know, the OKR is complex, the business model is complex, or sometimes they're they're not well written and they're not straightforward. So I, I think part of it is reflecting on what you as a PM are drawn to in the way that you solve things. And that probably takes a little bit of um, uh, a few opportunities to, to be able to observe because you need to think about how you yourself have tackled this role in the previous role. Um, but maybe you can look across projects and think to yourself, what kind of problem solver am I? Like, am I someone who comes in and do kind of what you described, which is I put myself in the situation and I get in with the team in the trenches and I drive it. And, and that gives you this sense of, okay, well, the story there is, you know, that you're quite dynamic, that you're on the front foot, but that maybe you're, you're trying to learn a bit more about influencing through other people. So some of it is, the core of it, in fact, I guess, is, is self-knowledge and is, is reflecting a little bit on what it is that you bring to your approach. And I think that's one thing that's very uh, core to the product job because it's so different. And you definitely see this when you interview, you see how different PMs are and different companies are. So turn that into an advantage for yourself because product management is not stamping out people who all, you know, it's not like, I don't know, you're certified by some central body or that we all go to and do two or three of the same university courses and that's where everyone comes from. It's quite um, a varied in industry and you can approach your job in a way that suits your company, that suits your your um, your product and your product challenges. And so I think part of it is reflecting yourself on what am I drawn to? How do I solve those problems? What's the common thread? And again, like if I'm writing that top paragraph at the top of my CV, what is it that I call attention to? What is it that matters to me? Um, and 
from that, I think you can get this sense of this is what I want to talk about. This is the core of um, how I solve problems and what I think is an interesting uh, transformation that I want to see happen in the world. So, so Alex, um, one of the problems we have is there's things like recency bias, success bias. We we forget things along the way, and it. I've known people who, uh, when I've done reviews with them, they forgot some of the amazing things that they had done along the year that I later had to remind them about, which is a, a nice problem to have. You have too many good things. But how do you make how do you arm yourself and make sure that you're keeping track of of this so you have good stories to tell and you can really get the whole arc of them? This is a great question. It's, it's hopefully this is probably the most practical part of what I'll say. So. I learned when I first became a manager, went through some training, and it was all about recency bias. And the, the trainer said, take notes about what your staff do throughout the year so that when you do the review, you're not just going, oh, well, what, what has he done last three weeks? What's she been up to recently? Um, but you can revert, you can invert that. And as an employee, you can um, do a lot to record uh, what you're contributing and what you're achieving. So Personally, one of the things that I do is a weekly retrospective. I book out a little bit of time on Friday. And at the end of each week, I will just do something in the notes file on my phone that is just what's gone well this week, what's gone less well, and then kind of the lessons or the things that I think uh, I want to reflect on for this week. And so it's very bullet pointy. It's very quick. But I've done it for the last three, four years. And so I have these long note files that just week by week, this is what's happened. And what it means is that you've got a real treasure trove of this is what happened at the time. This is what you felt was important. This is what felt like a win. Like when you finished on Friday, what felt like a real win this week? I've got so-and-so to buy into this. The test result came back and it was, you know, up. I really got alignment with these people who previously haven't been on board. What went less well? And that's also interesting, a sense of, oh, I really, you know, I I wasn't prepared for that meeting and it didn't run in the way that I thought it was going to run. Um, you know, I moved to this new team and that hasn't panned out. And it's just a real moment to do that reflection. And part of this is, you know, is a bit of an agile practice because it's basically a self-retro. Some of it you can ground in kind of more, uh, you know, kind of um, perhaps more mental health type techniques about sort of taking moments to um, build a, a reflection on yourself and having space to tell your own story. Uh, and in, in the talk, you know, a lot of this is based on this concept of, biography and thinking about the story of a life and ultimately that comes from taking some time to just reflect on things there's a really nice uh, line from virginia wolf the writer where she's talking about her diary and she was a, a, a very avid diarist and she said she always felt if she missed uh, a couple of days of writing the diary that it was like leaving the tap running in a sink without the plug-in and it was just all this experience was just draining away and it's a lovely sort of metaphor, but I think it's very true to what you said, that people forget, we all forget. And, you know, particularly as a product manager, you're doing 100 meetings a week, it's endless Zoom calls, and Slack messages, and you're always running to the next thing. So don't forget what's actually happened. Make a record of it, reflect on it. And you'll be very surprised because when the time comes to do something more formal, like a promotion or a, a CV or an application, um, you'll you'll be able to go and look at this stuff and go, wow, okay, there's there's a lot of raw material here that I can now shape. That's great. Um, I think we're running low on time, Alex. So 
I've got one more question uh, that I wanted to ask. It's about the Spotify model, but not the Spotify model that people have talked about in the past. This is a different one that that you introduced me to. Uh, the 50-50 rule. Can you tell me a bit about that? Because that sounds like a really good one. And, and maybe it's one you actually use at Spotify these days. Yeah, I mean, okay, good. this is good, but this is the one that I'm being asked about. So this came from about a year in with my manager, who is a very... Uh, She's a very, she's a very acute judge of, of, of character and approach. She's, she's as, as you'd expect from someone who's, who's fairly senior, very good at kind of like drilling into a situation. And her view was to be successful, you want to broadly have a, this 50-50 split. And 50% of your time is um, the kind of day-to-day running of your department or if you're uh, kind of earlier in your career, your team. So it's the, the basics of, uh, delivery of check-ins of responding to messages preparing for meetings you know creating decks that sort of stuff that the 50 percent is just the stuff that's kind of uh, the regular progress of of, of, of stuff that's uh, that's kind of a, a reasonably well-run projects or teams the other 50 percent is the number one thing that you want to solve that is what you would call like a you are a high leverage um you have high leverage about getting this problem solved so you are picking something that you in the role that you're in, whether that's a director or a head of or, or a PM, this is a problem that if you apply yourself to, you have high leverage on getting this problem solved. And you dedicate this 50% of that time to getting that done. And so whether that is something really specific, like how does the share flow resolve or like what happens with this API, or maybe it's something strategic, what are we going to do with that LLM thing? You know, what is our approach to this new hardware platform but you pick this thing and you go i am going to really move this problem on and i'm going to get it from being on fire or crunchy or difficult to the other 50 percent to the point where it can now just be well run it can be delegated to other people or it can be run through the standard processes and it gives i think spotify this um characteristic where even very senior managers are incredibly well versed in the detail they are really able to drill into how are you solving this problem? What's really going on? What is your proposition? What's your team up to? And it, it gives the company, I think it's one of the things that lets us execute the, the single app strategy. And I think it's, it's very powerful as a sort of way of giving yourself permission to still be hands-on and, and to solve problems. Um, so yeah, it was a good piece of learning and it is something that, that I try and uh, apply myself to. Um, and, and have something that I'm really coming into the week with like, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to try and resolve this week. I'm curious, as someone who manages others, who's got lots of responsibilities within the company, you know, we all find ourselves with, with calendar Tetris after a while. How do you reserve the 50%? How do you, how do you make that work? Or is that just the nature of, of the, the culture? It's a good question. I think, I think some of it is, I'm definitely aware of coming to Spotify, which is obviously, you know, digital company it's a very digital business and having worked in say like the bbc where that's not true there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't happen in spotify that does in a business where you're interfacing with a bunch of people who have a much more traditional viewpoint so there is a lot less management of that kind of stakeholders or of the clashing concerns between the new business and and the old business but I, i do think in terms of like specific pieces of advice i think always try and look at your your calendar and you know treat that as the product so i'm i'm pretty you know it's all color coded i can look at that calendar um i generally 
up to two weeks out, it's fully scheduled. So I don't leave free blocks of time on it at all. I will fill them with things. Sometimes it's just the focus time. If you're using Google Calendar, that's very cool because it gives you a sort of consistent, like this is focus time and it does a little bit of auto declining. Um, but you can create that yourself in whatever software you've got. But yeah, I would being intentional about it is important. I also think you can repurpose or use the meetings that you have if you've got the right people in there. Feel fine about turning that into, okay, this is going to be a working thing. We're going to do the discussion. Um, that's quite useful. I think you can also do this, some good asynchronous tools. So Loom is one that I'm a fan of. If you can get um, like a designer or an engineer to take you through a problem in Loom, they can often explain it in five or 10 minutes and you can watch it. And then your 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 understanding is at the level that you need it to, to be at. But yeah, I, I think you have to not be a slave to the calendar. You have to be able to use it and go, look, this is what I'm trying to solve. It's important. And I bring something unique to it. Maybe I have more decision power than the team. Maybe I have more insight into this domain. Maybe I have some contacts that the team don't have. And that is often what you find, that there are things that you can unblock by becoming more proactive, I think. Alex, that was fantastic. And in uh, in an effort to respect time and stick to our schedule, we'll end it there. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much, Randy. It was great. The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>